I had a gal that I interviewed who was 27. She was going to finish her two-year degree. It took her forever to do it, six, seven years. She had a couple of kids in between there, then wanted to finish it. She didn't know what to do. She had one elective to take to finish the class. She asked her friend what she should do. He said, go take this welding class. It was pretty fun. I really liked doing it. You should try it. So she takes this welding class. Before she's done, she has a job already. Now she earns 150 grand a year standing on top of 300 foot tall windmills doing uh, welding work on top of windmills. I mean, insane. She had no idea she was gonna be a welder. She had no inkling. She never picked up a welder, never saw a welder in her entire life. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast where my friend Lewis and I interview incredible people, entrepreneurs, investors, and in all kinds of different industries like internet uh, entrepreneurship, content creation, real estate, and, and more. Today we have on Mr. Ken Rusk. Yeah, Ken Rusk was an awesome guest. We just wrapped up this conversation a few minutes ago. Very, very much enjoyed it. Uh, Ken just wrote a book called Blue Collar Cash. He wrote it a couple years ago. It's been recently a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Good for him. That's awesome. The book is about the opportunities that have been created for people to really have incredible careers pursuing blue collar opportunities they may not have considered or they may have considered but didn't realize was actually as lucrative or as doable or as attractive as they may have thought. Ken has been digging ditches since he was 15. He's of course, since then scaled up to operating a business that does this hiring people. He's now has a 200 person team in this blue collar services industry, digging ditches and providing other genuinely useful ways to change the earth to match human desire in exchange for money. Um, that's an interesting way of putting it, but that's the truth. This conversation was awesome. We discussed the true size and scope of the supply demand mismatch between uh, how many people are trying to get you know, outdoor kitchens built, driveways repaved, lawns taken care of versus how many people are going actually to learn how to be a plumber, how to be an electrician, how to be a mason, the average age of these people and the scope of the opportunity for them. We discuss college and university versus blue collar when one strategy is better than the other and some misconceptions about each hopefully addressed and as always a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ken as much as we enjoyed having it and I'm going to switch to it now. Ken, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. I'm excited to be chatting today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Absolutely. I want to start out, says, you know, flipping through your book, I got a, a copy of it right here. Uh, and there are just some alarming statistics. I think if we just start with some of these numbers, we really catch people's interest and hook them for the interview. But I want to ask you specifically about the average ages in some of these trades, because that really like everyone knows or kind of has some idea maybe that there's a supply demand imbalance. None of their young friends are pursuing these in the same quantity that they're going to college. But like for electricians or for plumbers, like what, is, what does it actually look like? How old is the average person in those trades? And, and why is that such a problem or create such a huge like alarm signal for the scope of the opportunity? Well, if you think about, let's just take electricians, for example. So the average age of an, of an electrician in the United States today is between 52 and 55 years of age, right? And so they're very close to nearing retirement. And the problem with that is for every 10 electricians that are retiring, only five are coming online. <clears throat> so you can kind of see very quickly how it's going to create an even worsening supply and demand problem. And as we all know, right, Econ 101, where supply is low, demand is high, that's where the money goes. So there is enormous opportunity. And, you know, I, I can't shout this from the mountaintop loud enough, but there's enormous opportunity in not only that trade, but in all trades, because it's pretty close to the same thing across the board. Will that be true? Oh, go ahead, Kyle. <clears throat> oh, you go ahead, Lewis. I, I've got a point to make, but I'll make it after. No, go for it. Okay. Um, so I just graduated college, uh, in May and I feel like a lot of my friends inherently understand this, like the message that you are, you're talking about that, um, you know, people are getting older that have these jobs. There's a lot of money in it. Uh, but they just, they don't know how to go out and start like this path or they don't have clarity in the same way that they have clarity on, okay, after four years, I'm going to have a degree and then I'll figure it out. It's like, and I agree that college isn't always clear, but it's just, it's hard for a lot of people that I know to take this path. And for some reason, what, what do you think that reason is and how do we fix that? Well, the, the first part is 
it's the path is different than it used to be. So when I was in high school, I'm going to call this back in 82, okay? The only people going to college in my class were people who had a specific reason to take a specific degree and get a specific job at the end of that. I want to be a doctor. I'm studying to be a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor, okay? Or, I, you know, I want to be a teacher. I'm going to study to be a teacher. I'm going to come out and get a teaching job. Well, that all kind of went by the wayside right after I graduated from high school. And what they did was, you know, they took away the normal path to being a carpenter, electrician, or plumber. And that was, we had shop class in high school. You know, I could walk down the hallway and see my buddies turning a, 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 a table for, a, a, you know, a leg for a table or building a chair or framing a small barn, or I saw my other buddies changing a transmission in a car or whatever. So you had the opportunity to just dive in when you were 15, 16, 17 years of age and learn those skills and fall in love with them and say, you know what, I think I want to do this. Well, someone decided it was a good idea. So let's take all the shop classes out of high school and let's fill those rooms with computers. Okay, well, that's fine. We need to learn computers, but why did it have to be one versus the other? Why couldn't we have had both of those things? So the normal path for someone to discover a trade is now gone. Um, now, you can still go through a tech high school. Uh, the problem with that is if you go to a tech high school, you get some. sometimes you get the stigma of, oh, he's going to a tech school, and, and, and that, that's just crazy. So the, the, the path is different, but I will say this. If you're one of those people who got talked into going to college without a specific reason and now you're out the other side and you don't have any idea why you went or what you're doing with your, you know, your business degree or whatever, you know, you can still find ways to get in. I can tell you that, you know, I have 200 employees. I hire all the time. And it used to be that I could put an ad in the paper and 15 people would be sitting in my foyer the next day. Well, now maybe one or two are. So I have to look at that person as though they are, you know, like a little baby bird. I have to really hold them dear and close and, and do what I can. And I'll tell you, if, if you get someone who looks you straight in the eye and, you know, has a firm handshake and, and God forbid they're early to the interview, you will take that person and rise them up a lot quicker than, than they used to go, than that path used to take them. So. There's still a lot of opportunity for kids to go in there and just learn. You, you know, guys, you, you could you could come out of high school, and if, you, if if you're breathing, you can make 50 grand a year as an apprentice for a carpenter or a plumber or an electrician. You just got to go find them, find what's needed, find what's necessary, and just go hire in and be ready to learn, be ready to grow quickly. Yeah, I'd like to ask some questions about the uh, ballpark salary earning potential type things uh, later on. But yeah, only after, you know, we have this conversation, you pointed out to me, does it seem funny and it seems obvious in hindsight, of course, that it's absurd to go to college as like an undecided major. Like, and that's so common. Like I'm at, I don't know, uh, it wouldn't be weird for me to go meet someone freshman, sophomore year and like, oh, what are you here studying? Oh, I'm undecided. And like, that's not like a, a stigmatized thing. That's like, oh, of course, lots of people I meet are undecided. But hearing that in that broader context is kind of like alarming and, and super interesting to to even think about, especially with the costs and everything involved. Yeah, when, when we did the research for the book, one of the things that we found out was it's nearing 40% of kids that are going into college are going in as undecided. And 25% of those kids, once they decide, then change their mind yep. in the first year or two. But the worst number is only 33% of them ever use their degree for anything ever. So if you, if you take the inefficiency of that, you know, the reason that happened is twofold. Number one, colleges are really good at marketing themselves and saying, everybody's got to go to college. Everybody. Even though half the country works with their hands, everybody's got to go to college or else. Well, they're in the business to make money. So, of course, they're going to say that. Mm -hmm. And they shame parents and they shame teachers into thinking, if you don't go to school, you're going to be less than, which is ridiculous. Okay. But, yeah, so now you have all these kids going, well... I used to think I could go find a job. Maybe I, I want to own my own mechanic shop or my own bakery, or I want to I want to be a, a, a finished carpenter. But now the world is telling me I have to go to school. Those are the victims because they go into school and come out the other side. Like, why the hell did I go here? Why did, why did I do this? This wasn't for me in the beginning. I kind of got talked into it. So 
I feel bad for those people, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing to try and get everybody to understand that there's a whole other world out there that you're not being told yeah, about. I, I don't have the answers here, but an analogy I had thought of just in preparing for this interview was it's very similar to like food and unhealthy food. How the only food with a super aggressive marketing campaign, or like the difference between like Beyond Beef yeah. and regular beef, right? Is that you know they charge the same for Beyond Beef and regular beef, but Beyond Beef, like the fake beef, has like an 80, 90 percent profit margin or whatever it is because it's just like soy protein, and they take that whole marketing budget, they take that whole surplus uh, of margin, and they make all these TV commercials convincing you to do something that's not good for you. And like same thing with Cheerios, and same thing with like all of these other foods. It's like there's no advertisements for produce, there's no advertisements for just like basic natural like normally existing food but it's like and kind of the, the parallel here is like well these things that are advertised and forced down your throat it's like it's all the brainwashing convincing you that it's, it's necessary and or good for you and i like see a parallel i don't have the answers to or the solution here but it's kind of just like a be wary of things aggressively advertised because where's the money to aggressively advertising them come to coming from why is there the aggressive need to advertise them etc yeah, I mean, you know, when you're driving down the turnpike, you certainly don't see one of those 30-story um, signs in the air at the exits that has an apple on it or, or, or some vegetables. It's always the Golden Arches or Burger King or Wendy's or something like that. And, you know, they have their place in society. I get that. But you make a really, really great point, okay? You know, when, 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 you, when you talk about these colleges, how they're all expanding and they're all growing so quickly, and they have these huge endowments. I mean, some of these colleges are holding on to 30, 40, 50 billion dollars. What are they doing with that money? Where did it come from and why do they have it? Okay. Now they say it's to, it's to do this and it's to do that, but you know, some of these colleges could give free education for the next 100 years and never, <laughs> never run out of money. So yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where Supply and demand will take care of this problem because when you guys are ready to hire a, a carpenter and they make more money than your doctor does, you're going to go, hey, what the heck's going on here, right? So it will, it will flip. My only concern is, you know, supply and demand used to react very quickly. But now, you know, we have kids, instead of building a tree fort in the backyard with lumber and hammer and nails, they're building whole cities on Minecraft on this thing. I mean, it's not the same experience. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that that pendulum comes back the other way. It's been going the wrong way for about 25 years. And um, only now are people going, my God, I had my plumber come over and he charged me, you know, a, a three car payments. Well, okay. Yeah, that's what happens in, in a society with supply and demand. But it's good for the person who is out there saying, you know what? I'm going to be a contrarian thinker. I'm not going to go to school. I'm going to go do that, and I'm going to build a career for myself. I mean, you know, there's so much opportunity out there. That's that's why I'm trying to do what I do is is to get kids to understand that, man, there's a really really beautiful world over there that um, that you can take full advantage of. Sorry, I, I'm hearing a echo when I talk, so I'm uh -oh. I'm uh, <laughs> hesitant to ask a question. Um, but yeah, I think you know. One question I do have is like around parents, because I think a lot of kids who don't know what they're doing are are pushed into college by their parents, by the only people that they trust. So like, how did the colleges market to uh, the parents that this is the way to go? And, and why do people that are blue collar want their kids to go to college? Well, there, there, there's a couple. There's a couple reasons for that. N number one, again, I think there's this collective societal norm that isn't correct. It isn't right, but it, it exists. Where you're standing around at the graduation parties in June in the backyard barbecues, and you're saying, "Well, my son's going to Princeton, or my son's going to Ohio State, or my son's going, or my daughter's going here, or my daughter's going there," and then someone says, "Well," What about what's her name's uh, son? What's he doing? Oh, he's just going to be a plumber. Well, <laughs> I know that kid. He now has six vans, twelve employees, and he's making about two hundred eighty grand a year. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's just one of those things where when I tell parents this story, you know what they say to me? They almost like boom. They they kind of wake up and they go, well, "Why didn't anybody tell me that?" And I and, and it's a real simple answer. Life has been the same forever. Um, People need to fix roads. People need to build houses. People need to, you know, bake goods. People need to open restaurants. People need to do all these things, you know, build cars and, 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 and have welding shops and do all. That hasn't changed. 
The only thing that's changed is the fact that colleges say it's college or else. And they've done a good job at that. But who are they? If you're going to operate on my shoulders so I can get back on the golf course, I want you to know everything there is to know before you pick up a knife. I mean, I'm good with that. Teachers, financial planners, architects, engineers, good. But if you're just going to go, those are the people that would have been much better off saying, man, by now, four years after I spent 50 grand a year to go to college, I could have been making 50, 60, 70, 80 grand as a carpenter. That's a $400,000 swing. I should have done that. And I, what I'm trying to do is, is prevent kids from having to go through that ugly experience and have them say, well, maybe I should just do that right from the get rip because you can always go back to school if that doesn't work, right? Um, but you lose valuable time. And I think time is money, especially the power of young money as we go invest it. And uh, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think we just need to change that stigma a little bit. Yeah, and I, I think it gets, you know, even to those other disciplines, this is maybe just a personal tiff, if you will, but I think that those other ones, they put you in school for four years for the level of like training you need to even do those other careers. It's like way less than four years, like to be a teacher and like some types of engineering, like the, the amount of curriculum should not take four years based on what is actually practically applied. I don't know if that's, maybe that's just like piling on for no reason when we, we've made our point that the universities uh, do some non-perfect things, but... Well, let me let me prove the point you're making. Um, two years ago, um, Apple hired 50% of their employees without college degrees. So what does that tell what you? Is, what percentage does retail they, factor into that, like the Apple store and customer support? Well, they talked about their global presence because they were expanding, building things. And what they found was they can teach a kid to code better than a college can teach a kid to code. They can, teach, they can teach a kid to, you know, to um, engineer something better than a college can. So they decided, well, why don't we just get good candidates and let's put them through our own training processes and have the people we really want rather than having to undo what a university might have done in, into their culture, right? So I, I think that's genius, and I think that's going to keep growing um, you know, you're, you're seeing that with, with, with other high tech places. And I, I think that's going to be a trend that continues. Yeah. Let's speak to the, any studies you might have or things you put in the book, uh, the specifics to describing like the, cause part of the book is like loving your work as well, right? A lot of people connotate one, like strong aversion is like the difficulty. Maybe it's unpleasant. Maybe it's like you're out in the sun. I don't know. People have these beliefs or, uh, biases against some types of blue collar work because it's difficult. Uh, but you kind of think in many cases, the opposite is true, that there's a satisfaction, that there's like enduring happiness. Can you speak to that like more thoroughly? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, they say that 40% of white collar workers are happy with their job, but 78% of blue collar workers are happy with their job. And so why is that? Okay, well, let's look into that. So I have a, uh, I have a masonry company, let's say, okay. And I hired this guy, this is a true story. So this guy comes into my front yard. He's going to build an outdoor kitchen for me, right? He comes in in a brand new pickup truck. He's got his jeans and his work boots on. He's got a t-shirt on, big cup of coffee. He starts, he, he's, he's jamming Led Zeppelin in the background. Got three or four guys working with him. And they're just building this outdoor kitchen, having a blast. They're out in the sun, in the fresh air, doing their thing. And they control their input, which means they control their output. They control the quality of that output. They control their time, their scheduling, and their financial gain. So when you think of your ability to go through a, a work week, okay, and you can control all of those aspects of your time, it's a way better gig to me than, you know, maybe being on the 15th floor in some cubicle just waiting for Friday to happen. So, and I'm not saying that those jobs aren't, beneficial or rewarding, but I like jobs where I can control the beginning and the end and I can see the whole process through. I, I can see the start of the project, I can see the finished project, and I can see the, the people's reaction to what I'm doing and, and the quality of what I'm doing. It's like, it's like that stand back moment where you lean on the shovel and you look at a hard day's work and you go, wow, that's pretty cool what I just did there, right? So I've been doing that my whole life and I, all I can tell you is, all the guys that I know that are, are running blue collar companies, okay, they're all really happy people because 
they don't have anybody telling them what to do. And um, it's it's do or die, sink or swim. Okay, there's no one behind you, you know, kind of like pushing you along. But and there's a responsibility in that. But um, no better way to to, uh, to live this life. I'm 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 absolutely convinced of that. And there's a, a, a lasting impact of building something in the real world. Like if you're just looking at an Excel spreadsheet all day and you're just saying good number, bad number, and you're passing that up the chain to your boss who's like, oh, well, good number, bad number again. And, and there's just something fleeting about like working in the internet and digital ads, for example. It's like, well, I'm going to hit the lottery today. Don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But I, I can definitely see like from a, a, a just an objective standpoint as to why you know jim who has a, a stonemasonry business is going to be a happier person because they they have something they can look to and they can drive around and see what kind of impacts they've made on the the city and the world around them whereas it's very intangible uh you know any job that's like white collar uh yeah and here's the other good point to that. That's a good that's a good point that you made. So that stone guy that I mean he still works today, right? He's probably sixty, made a great living, has a ton of money. He has nobody to leave this business to and nobody wants it. And I think to myself, the guy's making a quarter million bucks a year or more, and nobody wants this business. I mean, you gotta be kidding me, right? So the guy that was doing my sprinkler system the other day, same thing. He's like, I got five trucks. I've only got three guys. You want to buy this company? And I'm like, well, I have enough going on my plate right now. But if I was 35 or 40, hell yes, I would have bought it. And there's a lot of that going on. A lot of these owners are going, man, I don't know what to do with my company. I sure wish some young buck would come up or and say, hey, let me learn the process. Let me take this thing over. And then I'll start making the money that you made. It's 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 almost an epidemic of that kind of thing, and that's that's why I think um, you know. Again, I, I have to say it a hundred times. I'm not an anti-college guy. College is a very valuable asset, but not for a hundred percent of the populace. Okay, maybe fifty percent of the populace at best, and um, that's where that's why we're in the situation that we're in today. Yeah, I have a close friend who. He's very early into that process, but he just left behind a you know financial advisor job to go take over this company that like renovates restaurants and airports. And you know they've got these older operators that want to get it to a slightly further, and then just have them take over and send them a check in the mail. And he gets to inherit a lot of work, but also gets to you know has to continue sustaining it. And he's so far it's, again he's not too far into it chronologically but he, he's loving that transition and i think there's a big opportunity for for someone to facilitate that matchmaking well not only that but you don't even here's the other thing you don't have to scuff your chin learning how to do this i mean the business is rolling in this in this case this guy makes people wait six months for his stonework okay Six months, and people are willing to do it. So you're grabbing his company like you're jumping out of bus that's already doing 30 miles an hour <laughs> down the street. You know, you're not starting this thing from scratch where you go, "Oh my God, how am I going to make payroll?" He's got a list of, comp of clients that are just paying every every week, every month, and they're all want more work done. So it's it's really it's really something that um, that someone you know some some person that would say, "Wow, I think I could do that." Just jump on that bus and just take that business and, and maybe even make it bigger than it is. We we did an interview. This is going back to a previous point, but we did an interview a few weeks ago with someone building an app trying to like renovate chat. Like it's a super app trying to like organize chat, social calendars, just communication, payments, just kind of like coordinating what used to be like the offline social coordination aspect and bring that online because he thinks all the traditional technologies have kind of put all these like inputs and change the dynamics of the situation in a way that like now we just text each other like 10 second blurbs without any thought whereas you know writing letters for example it's like here's something i spent an hour thinking about respond to this something with you spend an hour thinking about and there's just like the nature right. of the communication is, is so much higher level and i think that can really translate to to knowledge work and just like the satisfaction that comes from the stonework and i think what what you're kind of saying so he has this belief this kind of like techno optimist belief the person building this app that 
you know, the internet created was created. We had this huge paradigm shift in like digital technology and like the way we interact with machines and we're going to be able to get it right so that it is net better than how it was before. But all of the people switched over to new communications beforehand. Uh, and I think what you're kind of saying is placing a bet. That's like, we don't have enough confidence to believe that like we are happier with like these new age types of careers and like online existence. Like I'm just, we know for a fact that for 2000 years or more, this has been a satisfying way to live. That's also profitable, sustainable, et cetera. And I'm just going to stick with this path. And all these people got a bit like eager and I'm gonna let them wait for the next 50 to hundred years to figure out how you actually make like a, a digital oriented career life, like all online universe, meaningful and satisfying, like satisfying, but I'm just going to kind of like, uh, stick with this thing that we know is tried and true. That is somehow actually now even better because everyone else drank the Kool-Aid too early. And I think like another interesting example of that, that had connected for me and is like that you wrote your book by hand. Like, I think that is also like a super interesting way that like illustrates that point. <laughs> So it's like, not only like it's all this new stuff, just we put too much faith in it being better because it's new when no one's like willing to like critically examine if it's actually better in like on the whole, right? Cause it is better in unique ways. You can definitely put more words on a page per minute with a keyboard, not necessarily good words, but words, they have advantages. It's just no one is willing to step back and critically examine like on the whole, whose approach is better. Well, you know, that. That is an amazing point. You know, I've, I've probably been on a hundred podcasts or more and no one's ever brought that up except for you guys. So, um, kudos to you for bringing that up because I literally was on an airplane and I was writing feverishly on this legal pad. Okay. And, you know, I was shaking my hand because my hand was going, getting sore and whatever. And the guy next to me says, what are you doing? I said, well, I think I'm writing a book. And he says, you mean you're writing a book? <laughs> Like, you know, we have these things that you can hit keyboards and like words happen. And then I pulled out 10 more legal pads that I had filled out of my bag and said, yeah, look, this is what I'm doing. But I have to tell you something. I couldn't write. I couldn't create when I was at the keyboard. I tried it. I, I literally would sit down at the keyboard and I would have nothing. I mean, I would try to get some words going and then I would mistype three or four of the words and have to type them over again. And it, I just couldn't do it. I slid that thing aside. I got my 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 pen and my and my legal pad, and I would just flow. It, it was really odd. I actually had to have my daughter type the entire book when I got done with it. I read it to her, and she typed the whole thing. So your point's well taken. And and I you know I I wonder if I wonder if artists go through the same thing. Like you know I, you know if if they have an electronic paintbrush versus paint in the canvas. I wonder if they would go through the same thing. I'm sure there's a lot of examples of that, and you, you brought up a good one there, so thank you for that. But um, it is interesting that uh, to, to get deep inside of who you are and what you want to put out there, and then the delivery method of that. And for me, it was the good old-fashioned pen and paper. I mean, I think a lot of people just sit at the screen all day and you could have sat at the screen for eight hours a day to, to work on this book. And you could say you sat at the screen for eight hours a day and put in a day's work, but you feel empty and like you got nothing done. And I think that's really just why your message resonates with a lot of people who even might be earning a decent income in a traditional job and just not connected to the sense of satisfaction or accomplishment at the end of the day. Kyle, you have something to say? Yeah, I was going to say you bring up something interesting there, which is like the, the salary. Uh, I think, you know, people who are looking for what they want to do start Googling and they're like, how, like, what's the highest salary paying job that I can get? And it's like that word limits you because, uh, when you start a business, you're, you don't have a salary. It's, it's what you can produce. And so like, I'm sure that there's, there are plumbers in my city making $300,000 a year, but you can't Google and see how much uh, you know, Joe, the plumber is making, you can only see industry averages based on like, uh, you know, press releases from colleges or whatever. Um, and so I, I think that that might be one of the things that is stopping people from going into a trade is because it's hard to know what your, your upside potential is when that information is hidden by, uh, you know, it not being a W2 that is averaged out or whatever by large corporations, rather it's a, yeah. But you, you sure do know what the college degree jobs pay, don't you? I mean, those are crystal clear, right? And there's probably a reason for that, okay? I don't think any college business 
person, whoever that person is that is responsible for growing the school. I don't think any of them want want anybody to know that you could drive a truck for Walmart right now and make 90 grand. They don't want you to know that. I mean, it's on the billboards. I'm not telling you anything that isn't out of out of school here. I mean, you, it, it's right on the billboards and um, the signing bonuses and all that. Now, you know, the other thing you have to think about is this, and this is why this is somewhat controversial, okay? But the way I lived my life, I've come to this conclusion. Sometimes it's not as important what you do for a living as it is what you do with what you've done for a living, okay? And what I mean by that is if you don't know what you want your life to look like, it really doesn't matter what job you have because you're going to end up living an if-then life. You know, if I get good grades and if I get a scholarship and if I get a degree and if I get a job and if I get paid well, then I can start living my life. No, the heck with that. You need to start with the then first, okay? What would my perfect nirvana be? I actually have, when I coach people, I actually have them get out of a poster board and crayons and I have them draw all the things that would make their life the way they want it. What type of structure would they like to live in? House in the country, condo in the city, apartment, whatever. What type of transportation would they like? Scooter, motorcycle, electric car, pickup truck, van, sports car, whatever. What type of pet would they want? Dog, cat, what color, what would you name it? You know, what kind? What? What's your hobby? I'm a golfer or I'm a runner or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm th- this is my hobby. I'm a painter, whatever. W- what is your give back moment? Well, if I had a hundred bucks and I could give of my time, talent, and treasure, what would I do with that? So what's the perfect vacation look like? Draw all those things on a board and say, that's my life. That's cool. If I could live like that, that would be really awesome. Okay. If you begin with that picture in your mind, which is kind of what I did, being a, I mean, I was a ditch digger since I was 15. I'm still in the same business, right? I've invested in a lot of other things along the way, but I still dig ditches. I mean, not me personally, but I have a lot of people that help me do that. But that's the business, right? So ditch digging was number 99 on a list of 100 things that I wanted to do. But it got me all those control points that I told you about earlier. Input, output, financial, time, scheduling, all that. So... Sometimes it's not so important how you get there, but the fact that what's the there to begin with? I mean, what is it? Because I know a lot of people that have some really crazy, super successful lives that are just miserable because they don't have control over their own life. I mean, they're, they're, they're in, in some type of scenario that they can't really put their arms around. I also know people that live very comfortable, calm, comfort, peace, freedom type lives that um, that have these types of careers. So all I'm saying is, you know, I wanted to be a race car when I was a little kid. I didn't become a race car driver. I didn't become a race car driver, but I now have a bunch of cars that I race. So somehow I figured it out in the end, right? So it's just one of those things that um, you really have to look at the big picture and then pick one of the many paths to get there, one of them being a college education. Yeah, can we speak yeah. to oh, – go ahead, Kyle. I was just going to say that that resonates with me. Um, I, we had a conversation recently with a, a recent podcast guest, Will Brown, actually in person. And he talked about uh, this concept of – he's basically saying that I was thinking in such a way that it was have, do, be, when it should be be, do, have. And, like, you can't focus on, you know, the things that you want to have making you who you want to be. Rather, you have to be the person that you're supposed to be in order to get the things that you're you know, supposed to have. And it's like you just cannot put any weight in your physical objects being what makes you who you are because like, that's just going to lead to you being unhappy. And so I, I, I very much resonate with the point that you're making there. And, you know, that that's really awesome that you said that because my point isn't you should start with material things. That, that's not it. You know, if if I'm going to drive my car, it's, I'm driving the car for the way it makes me feel. I have a, It's a hobby. I love doing it. It's like an exhilarating, it's like a risk junkie kind of thing. It's not the car itself. It's just part of the thing. You're going on vacation. I have pictures all around my office 
okay, of places I've been with my family and the love and, the, and all the things that that creates, the moments and the memories and all that. So you have to be careful that th it's what the things do for you, not the things themselves, okay? So, you know, having your family over for Christmas when it's snowing out, you got a fire going and everyone's around the tree opening gifts, that's a pretty cool moment, okay? It ain't the house. It's what you're doing with that house. So he's right when he says that. All I'm saying is if you don't have even an idea of what comfort, peace, and freedom means to you, which is the basis for my book, it, it doesn't really matter what you do because you're going to be living for Friday or living for the end of the month and, and hoping you can survive. So I always say, you know, we don't, we don't live to work. We work so we can live. Well, what's the live part? Tell me about that, and then we'll then then we'll have a conversation we're talking about. Yeah, I think that's one thing that I I don't know if I, I want to call it a trap, but something I fell into, especially during the pandemic, was you know work became when our lives became socially isolated uh, for like an extended period of time. I kind of really leaned into like work projects, school, and just like took everything very seriously. And then what I did became like a huge part of my personality, and like I did not develop like strong hobbies outside of like the house because really it was just like going all in on like the specific things I do. Uh, so for me, that's like a really interesting paradigm to just like really put those things like at a certain point, unless you're an artist or like your work is like truly, truly your, your passion and which there's a whole other debate that like becoming good at like a craft turns it into a passion and in hindsight, after the fact, like those stone people probably are now passionate about the quality of the stone you know, outdoor kitchens that they build and try to try to push their own envelope in terms of how sophisticated and beautiful they can continuously make things. Uh, but that definitely happened to me where there's like an obsession over the thing I was doing when in a certain point it is, you know, if you're just trading time for money, you, ha you just pick an effective game so that it's in service of uh, a life you want to live. You know, I, I will say this, you guys are a lot younger than I am, but I have, I have to tell you that I think giving back to the community and I don't care, I, I mentioned time, talent, and treasures. Uh, treasures is last because you can give of your time and your talents and not have to give of money. I mean, that's a fact. But I will tell you, that that makes you such a whole person. It's 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 incredible the power that that has. Um, and, and that's why, again, I talk so much about comfort, peace, and freedom as feelings and concepts, not necessarily things. So, you know, j just be aware that like, for example, you can take six people and 30 bucks and you can go to your nearest Ronald McDonald house and you can cook an entire spaghetti dinner with salad and garlic bread and meatballs and all that stuff. You pack it all up in these little foil containers, you stick it in the refrigerator and then you leave. And what you don't know is that you just fed a family whose son or daughter is across the street suffering from some life-threatening disease, and they're sleeping at this Ronald McDonald house, you know, dealing with that every single day. And, oh, my God, wouldn't it be nice just to have some homemade spaghetti and meatballs and a salad, you know? I don't have my kitchen here. So it's 30 bucks, and it takes you, like, two hours. And you're going to walk out of there feeling like a million and thirty dollars So, yeah, let's, let's let the power of, of giving back Let's let that steep into everyone that's listening here because you will not believe the feelings you get by doing something as simple as that. I think that's that's very powerful. I, I think we'll transition to some rapid fire, kind of less thematically organized questions. Uh, one interesting okay. tip in your book, uh, I don't want to call it a strange tip, but it just can't, seemed out of place, is you encourage people to get pets. Like that was like a specific recommendation that, you know, it's not contrarian yeah. advice by... Uh, any measure, but it is something strange to have like included in a book. In my opinion, I've never seen that been like, and by the way, your, your life will probably be better if you have a pet. Like, can you elaborate on why you included that in the book, what the argument behind that is and, and where you're going with that? Cause I agree, but it was, it was not somewhere I was expecting to find that piece of advice. Well, for, first off, you know, we have a couple of golden retrievers. Okay. And they are the most loving human being, not human beings. They're the most loving animals of human beings on the planet. They're, they're just incredible. You cannot have a day where you come home loaded in your brain with a bunch of negative emotions. And then you see that dog and you can't just turn that right around. So number one, they eliminate all the stressors in your life. Okay. Unless they chew up your furniture, which ours don't do. And that would be a stressful thing. But 
The point is, is when you take a dog for a walk in the park, not only are you getting some of the best air you're going to breathe that week, okay, because we all know trees emit, right? They take in one and they, the bad stuff and put out the good stuff, right? So you got that. You're, you're walking in the sunshine. You're getting some good vitamins from, from this, the sunshine. You're also probably walking pretty slowly. You're, you're relieving all that stress that you had during the week. You may be running into total strangers who are also dog people, and dog people are not strangers for very long, okay? So you have these amazing, unexpected conversations, and you're just chilled. And, and I, I think that, you know, they talk about how pet owners live an extra 10 years beyond normal people. I absolutely believe that because, you know, you're at home sick, that dog is right there. You're outside playing, that dog is right there. You had a good day, bad day. That dog is right there loving you every, every, every minute of it. And it, it could be a cat. It could be whatever. Whatever makes you do your thing. All I'm saying is there is a whole, there's a whole peaceful feeling that you get from pets beyond just what most people think of owning an animal. So to me, it's a, it's, it's a winner. It's a win-win-win. I think that when people think of golf, they don't necessarily think blue-collar. So can you... Uh, explain why you decided to spend so much of your time getting really good at golf and also what your best or what your favorite golf course is. Uh, favorite golf course. Well, I'll give you three of them. Um, the old course, St. Andrews, um, Augusta in Augusta, Georgia, and uh, Cypress Point out in California. All for different reasons, but just unbelievably awesome golf courses to play. Why did I take up golf? I, I think I took up golf because, you know, when, when you're thinking about this, this world that we live in, there are a lot of things that go right and a lot of things that go wrong. And there's always this accountability, like who did this? Who said that? Why did this happen? Why did this go right? Why did that go wrong? When you're on the golf course, everything is your fault. <laughs> Whether it's good or bad, it's your fault and your fault only. So, I like to be out there because it's a challenge. It's it's a um, it's a game you'll never get a hold of. Believe me, <laughs> you'll never you'll never perfect it. Um, but it's also a chance to be outside with my buddies and and just relaxing. I, I walk every time I play, so I get my fifteen thousand steps in. Unless I play bad, then it's seventeen thousand steps. Um, but yeah, I I just I just love it. I, I think it's it's probably a, a, if you're going to have an addiction, that would be one to have because um, it's certainly going to add years to your life and and give you some some enjoyment in, in the process. I want to ask you about relaunching your book because uh, that's not something I see too often. You effectively decided that the timing really was not in your favor uh, to launch this book about the value of in person, hands on, physical labor type jobs at the in the middle of the pandemic. So. Like, I think that's an assumption people have. It's like, you launch the book in a bad timing, it doesn't go as well, try again next time, write another book, whatever. But you decided to, like, relaunch this book and then saw a ton of success the second go-round. So what was that decision like? What do you think was, like, a lesson from... Because I think a lot of people assume you can't launch something twice. But you're just like, we're just going to launch it twice. But maybe I have that story wrong. Yeah, I think, you know, this, there's a good story. I, I don't remember the name of this documentary I saw, but it was a documentary where they were building an iPhone, and it was 20 years ago. It was way before the iPhone was coming out. Was this and General it Magic just like an or iPhone. something else? Yeah, okay. it, 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 it looked just like an iPhone. It acted like an iPhone, but it was way before its time. And um, the talented people that were involved in it and everything else. So imagine you spend you know three or four years writing a book, and then you, you launch it right in the middle of the pandemic. Okay. So there is my timing, right? Timing, timing and opportunity is everything in life. I had all these TV shows that I was supposed to be on that got truncated, and I had um, all these places I was supposed to go and all these book signings I was supposed to do, and all that got canceled. So I just did a book signing last week, and I did one last month. I have one next month. So it's coming back around. But I think what happened was, you know, there's a silver lining in everything. And I think the silver lining in the pandemic for me was so many people realized, wow, I don't necessarily have to go sit in an office to be successful or to be, you know, to feel like I'm fulfilled. I don't have to get in my car every day and drive to that building. Is there something else I can do? And then you saw people during the pandemic staying home. 
I saw people playing Frisbee in their front yard again. I saw people riding bikes again. The parks were full of people. You know, kayak sales went way up. Frisbee golf and all these other things went crazy. And the jobs that needed to support those things like outdoor kitchens and decks and driveways and landscaping and recreational stuff, that all went crazy and still is. So it, it to me, it was it was just kind of one of those things where, you know, I thought, okay, let's do this again. Let's do it now that people are back to life and reality as much as possible. Let's launch it again. And we did. And it was, it was, it became a bestseller. So, you know, uh, again, I'm very blessed and very grateful. And, uh, I didn't think this thing would go 10 feet, much less 10 miles. And, and, uh, again, it's, it's something I'm very, very thankful for. Congratulations. Um, have you, you. I'm sure you've gotten a lot of stories from people that have read the book and taken your course and, and done something with it. Do you have a favorite, uh, like, I guess, customer success story or, or student success story? Well, I have two of them. One, I had a gal that I interviewed who was 27. She was going to finish her two year degree. It took her forever to do it. Six, seven years. She had a couple of kids in between there, then wanted to finish it. She didn't know what to do. She had one elective to take to finish the class. She asked her friend what she should do. He said, go take this welding class. It was pretty fun. I really liked doing it. You should try it. So she takes this welding class. Before she's done, she has a job already. Now she earns 150 grand a year standing on top of 300 foot tall windmills doing uh, welding work on top of windmills. I mean, Insane. She had no idea she was going to be a welder. She had no inkling. She never picked up a welder, never saw a welder in her entire life. So she was pretty, uh, she was a pretty good story for us to use. And, and, and she still is. She's an amazing gal. The other one I think is really cool is I, I had a guy who, who called me who said, or who emailed me. He said, listen, he said, I was a welder when I was, or I'm sorry, I was a plumber's assistant when I was 19 years old. And I kind of did that through college because I had to go to college, but I really liked working out in the field with my hands. I got this degree and I got this sales job and, you know, I'm, I'm up here in, uh, on the 15th floor in this cubicle selling medical sales and I just hate it. So he said, I'm 51 years old. I quit my job. I went back to being a plumber again. It's been, it's been about a year now after I read your book, I did this. I have never been happier in my whole life. Thank you for writing this book. So it was kind of cool to see both sides of it. Somebody just starting out and somebody, you know, flipping a career. And I've had a lot of that, which, which I'm really proud of because I don't think you should spend a minute doing something that, um, that you actually hate just to, to wait for Friday and, and pay some bills. I think you need to, to, to work so you can live. I think those are two great stories to, uh, close out this conversation. Where would you like to send people if they want to check out the book? I know you have a blog, you have a lot of articles that I meant to ask about, didn't get to. Uh, you have a lot of content, lots of things going on. So what's the uh, the homepage, the best starting point for anyone who found what we talked about to be interested? Yeah, well, they, they've, they've got me on Facebook at um, Ken Rusk Official. Um, they also have me on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram doing that stuff, which is really cool. It's a lot of fun. I, I will say this. You know, you go to KenRusk.com, you'll see all the buy buttons there, the, you know, Amazon and, and Apple Books and Barnes and Nobles and, you know, Books a Million and your local independent bookstores got to remember those guys. And um, I just want to mention one thing, you know, I didn't write this book to make money. My life was really good before I did it. So I did it to kind of help people. And for everyone that buys a book and a course, I donate a book and a course to somebody of their choosing. Or, or if they don't have anybody, to someone who, who deserves it in the community. So just know that if you get the book and take the course, you're not only going to help yourself, but you're going to be helping somebody else um, to get their, their self launched as well. So I just want everybody to hear that. Well, great. Thank you so much for your time today, Ken. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And that wraps up our episode with Ken Rusk. Another incredible conversation. My three quick takeaways. Number one is just the statistic that he threw out uh, probably halfway through the episode where he said 40% of white collar employees are happy with their jobs, but 78% of employees of, of employees that are blue collar are happy with their jobs. And really that picture that he painted of being outside in the fresh air with your friends 
building something that you'll be able to drive past for years to come, I think really, to me, uh, illuminated his point as to why uh, those people are, are, are happier. Uh, I think the next one is starting with the end in mind. Uh, you know, he said when uh, when uh, he was, you know, a young kid, his parents were like, okay, you want to go um, take your girlfriend out to dinner? You want to get some jeans? Well, now you know what you need to get. And, and so how are you going to get there? And I think that that is something that's kind of lost on our generation. And also uh, just a good way of being is, is having an end in mind and uh, mapping out the steps to get there. I think that's something that I'm missing and probably a lot of other people are too. Uh, and number three is it's not about the house. It's about what you can do with it. It's not about the car. It's about what you can do with it. It's not about the thing. It's about what you are able to make decisions to make that thing do for you. Um, and, and I think that that's something that, you know, you can say, but it's hard to understand and something that I uh, have struggled with personally. So those are my three takeaways from our conversation, Mr. Ken Rusk. Yeah, I was uh, busying myself off camera while you're making that first point. It reminded me of something. Uh, first takeaway for me is just this point I was trying to make on air. I don't know how well I articulated it as I was figuring it out, but that's that's what you're here for as a podcast listener. But it's a known good path, right? So we don't really know. There's not a super clear history. There's not like great empirical evidence, if you will, of like super happy digital employees. There's like a lot of people that just spend all day with the screen. And there's all these books written by people like Cal Newport about how to like try to not be miserable and that's your life and how to try to be effective and not just like let the medium and like the, the nature of working with computers disrupt your happiness. Whereas Ken's like, again, like you said, these people can drive past it. And that's just a very historic, innately human evolutionary, whatever you want to call it, like sense of desire and satisfaction. And I was thinking about that in terms of this podcast, like we can scroll through and see like, you know, the body of work we've produced, but it's still just going on a screen and scrolling like them. Yeah, that's a really long list. That's a lot of pictures of people, but like, you know, that would be so much different than if we ever like saw all a hundred people in a room, like just the difference between like the physical senses of progress versus not. So that's why I have this thing here. Crazy. Yeah. It'd be crazy. <laughs> put it into way different context, but this right here is like a stack of books of people we've interviewed and just like books of books by people we've interviewed. And like that as a measure of progress, feeling that weight in my hands, that's like way different. That feels way different. Like going on YouTube and seeing like 300 videos published. There's a lot of clips, right? There's a lot of things we publish that aren't episodes, but this just feels this like eight books in my hands by people we've interviewed is way more impactful to me mentally, psychologically satisfaction. Uh, and there's, there's a metaphor there. So I guess we've got to interview more authors so we feel better about what we're doing. And Ken, thank you for being an author who we interviewed to get us to make this stack of books grow heavier and feel more satisfying in my hands. But second takeaway is about goal setting. Uh, comes up again and again and again. I say this probably every episode. I'm like, here's a cliche piece of advice that's really good. Uh, and, you know, Jordan Peterson has this thing where he, he kind of describes how, like, the, the radical left, whatever you want to call them, like, is so effective because they weaponize guilt. And don't need to go into that. But basically, that's why I feel good about bringing up cliche pieces of advice. People don't reply. It's like, I'm going to weaponize the guilt for, like, super clear goal setting, pen and paper, crayons, poster board, like, the simplest possible path. You'd be surprised by, like, the level of clarity and motivation that can come from doing a simple exercise like that. Uh, and then third... It's just the awesome inspiration of Ken talking about helping so many people, how easy, how easy it is, how effective it can be, uh, both in terms of, you know, publishing this book that's helping, you know, those two stories he shared at the end, people improve their lives. Uh, I was listening to Ken on the John Lee Dumas entrepreneurs on fire and something that JLD always says is, you know, don't assume that what's obvious to you is obvious to others. And so Ken, just this book poured out of him once he switched to paper and the things that like, of course, like everyone knows this, everyone knows that, you know, uh, electricians are retiring at an alarming rate. And there's tons of people with these great businesses that have known to take over. And there's, this is how you set goals. And this is, how, but like, not everyone knows that not everyone's applying it. So just writing a book, actually, it was super helpful. And the things that Kyle and I think are obvious, we're hopefully helping people learn as well by doing the show. If you enjoy the show, the best way to know about the next episode is to subscribe. The best way to show appreciation is to leave a rating, review, or share with a friend, or say hi online. Uh, we have a sponsor, Espresso Displays. If you want the superpower of taking two monitors everywhere you go, hit them up. There's a link in the bio to that. And that's, uh, I think, everything I have to say. So we'll see you with the next episode. If you can't wait, there's always like 100 you probably haven't listened to yet in the feed. See you then. Bye-bye.